This is Tony Bizella, head women's basketball coach at Seton Hall University, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. You know, normally I ask Mike how he's doing. And then he goes on to some kind of diatribe about how Seton Hall's ruined his personal life. But you know what? This time... I'm going to steal some of his thunder. Yesterday, my oldest child, which is who's 13 years old, had one of her final soccer tournaments for the year. And since she started in high school next year, this might be the last time she plays soccer. So armed with my phone, I'm watching the game via Gamecast and via Twitter just to see what's going on. And thank goodness I didn't see that debacle. But here's where the problem lies. Deep in my heart, I knew... I was going back to the video. I was going back to the DVR to watch this atrocity that occurred yesterday. So I wasn't even enjoying my darling daughter's soccer game. And all of a sudden, it starts pouring in all the grief from all those friends who happened to attend that school that shall not be named. And I'm just dying inside. And I knew it was going to ruin the rest of my day. And it wasn't because we lost, Mike. And it wasn't because of how many points we lost by. But it's how the guys came out and played. So that's how I'm feeling this morning. So, Mike, how you doing? How am I doing, Tommy? I, I don't know. You know, I, I was going to keep it simple today myself as well. To, to me, it's all about emotions. And it's all about the, the gamut of emotions that I feel like we've run so far throughout this season late you know it, it starts with the michigan state loss and i was frustrated you know then, then we moved played the oregon game you know and i felt angry i got over that and then we had the iowa state loss and i was disappointed yesterday the loss to Rutgers. i'm kind of you know along the lines with you i'm more embarrassed and, and it covers a lot of that spectrum it's you know the the friends that we had that went to Rutgers that are going to kind of stick it to you that i haven't heard boo about college basketball up until yesterday it was the way in which they lost by getting run out of the building and watching them storm the court you know it's it's also the embarrassment of here's a team that was projected to be possibly top 10 go on to great things this season and now come monday morning we will be out of the rankings picking up the pieces and trying to figure out you know where we're going to be going and the reality of this all is this all happened in 10 games we're only a third of the way into the season the out of conference schedule is teetering on the fringe on what will be considered a colossal failure the team most likely heads into that matchup against maryland upcoming with their two best players on the shelf you know i don't know about you tom 
But if the sky hasn't fallen yet, it's getting dangerously close to doing so. Michael, with every loss that piles onto this team's record, it's making the Big East schedule that much more difficult. And we know the Big East teams eat each other all season long. They cannibalize each other. And only one or two teams is going to have those big double-digit wins at the end of that season. So the fewer wins we have right now, the worse it is later on. Hang on. I, I remember us talking to Carino on our season preview relative to that last point that you just made. And Carino's like, ah, 14-4, and 13-5 and five wins the Big East regular season title. And I said to him, you know, what about a number like 12 and six? It, it could be really jumbled up with a lot of the parity based on what we've seen so far, or what we, you know, anticipate based on the balance in the conference. And he goes, oh, that'd be crazy. That'd be some kind of like mathematical, you know, formula that don't have to be calculated. I don't, I don't see 12 and six. And there's John Fanta yesterday after the Xavier loss to Wake Forest. What's he put out on Twitter? I could see 12 and six winning this conference. So, so yeah, that, that could be reality. And it's, I guess, 12 and six, if you win the conference, gets you into the NCAA tournament. But it, it's going to be a very weak 12 and six, possibly, relative to what we've done in the non conference. That's could, could a Big East champion be a seven or eight seed or lower? Is that a possibility? Well, it's always a possibility. But I'm looking at the rest of the league, Mike. If the champ actually goes 12 and six, What's the rest of the league going to look like? I think you might have a bunch of teams fighting for those, you know, 10, 11, 12 seeds where they get into the tournament. So I don't disagree with what John finished out on his on his tweet. He did say you could see six or seven teams challenging for an NCAA bid, but the Big East tries to put themselves up with the other power five schools in their you know, level of quality of play based on their Ken Palms and their RPIs and get their net rankings. And now all of a sudden, if you have your champion representing a seven or eight seed, it just it just doesn't say much for the conference in general. And right now, you got Villanova, who's ranked 20th. You got Butler 18th. And after that, you got nobody else right now. Well, Mike, even with all the bad news, even with the typical Seton Hall slide that normally happens in January, moving its ugly self into December, we're here. We're not tourists. We're staying. We're going to recap these games. And let's start with the debacle down by the banks. All right, let's just like pull a Band-Aid right off here. Uh, Rutgers 68, Seton Hall 48. Uh, it didn't get off to a good start right out of the gate. Rutgers punched us in the mouth. It was a 14-0 start right before the first TV timeout, and it didn't get any better after that. Rutgers extended the lead to scores of 19-3 at the second TV timeout and 28-9 with 7.15 to play in the first half. Seton Hall mounted a little bit of a rally to cut the margin to 13 at the half, 36-23. Seton Hall was just putrid. Two of 18 from the floor to start and finish the half, nine of 31 shooting. It was the fewest points they scored in any half so far this season. Conversely, Rutgers, a 28% three-point shooting team, came out hot, hitting five of seven from deep. Miles Powell was given news that he wasn't going to return to the game to start the second half ruled out for, at that point in time, an undisclosed head injury. Ultimately, was discovered that he had a serious concussion on a charge he took early in the first half. And to be honest, the Hall really didn't stand a chance after that. It ended up becoming another offensively challenged half, only scoring 25 points. The Hall didn't put up much of a rally, 
and the final score resulted in that 68-48 20-point margin. Well, looking at the stat sheet, Mike, it wasn't any prettier than your description. Our leading scorer for the night, Quincy McKnight with 11. And there weren't many other bright spots in that box score either. The starters for Rutgers, though, they filled up that stat sheet. Ron Harper Jr., 18 points. Miles Carter had an 8.13 rebound night. Geo Baker had 8 points and 5 assists. Rutgers out-rebounded us 44-22, showing that height is not the only thing you need to get some rebounds. They outshot us 46% to 32%. And again, another 27 threes shot by the hall. We only made 29% of them. We didn't make it to the line much. Only eight free throws attempted, making only two of them. And the team dished out a meager nine total assists on 19 made field goals. I'm sorry, Tom, but you know what? I don't want to hear from all the Rutgers shills out there that are talking about how great their team is and how they are trending. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from what they accomplished. Yes, they took us to the woodshed. They beat us by 20. It's the rivalry game. They got back-to-back wins now after beating Wisconsin. But this game was more of an indictment of how dysfunctional Seton Hall is offensively more than it is anything else. I mean, Rutgers still only shot 46%. You know, it's not like they were lights out in this game. You know what? They only got to the line nine times themselves. So when you dominate a game and your opponent shoots eight free throws and you shoot nine, it's not like you killed us inside. And they had more turnovers than us. They turned over the ball 18 times in this game. I want to see how many Big Ten games they're going to win when they turn the ball over 18 times on a given night. It was not what I would call a masterpiece in the film session for Rutgers either. But, I mean, if you read an article after this game, and maybe I sound like a little bit of sour grapes, you would think Rutgers is kind of locking up the four seed in the NCAA tournament next week. (laughs) You know, Mike, I am not going to jump all over Rutgers. I'm not going to badmouth them because that's not where we lost this game. Good for them. Let them have their moment to shine. Let them get into that Big Ten schedule and get blown out left and right. This is more on Seton Hall's inadequacies, and we'll get into it, than it is what we want to say about Rutgers. Before we go into one last bullet point, I guess I don't want to kind of sound like sour grapes. Rutgers did play good defense. So, because I got some friends who are like, I can't wait to hear the podcast for the first time. Uh, Let let me know when you're going to drop that podcast so I can let all my Rutgers friends listen. Rutgers played very good on-ball defense. But here's what I'm going to say. When you watch Seton Hall play their one-on-one hero ball, it becomes very easy to defend against them. Hence, they only score 48 points. You're missing their, their two best players in Sandro and Powell basically for the entire game. Any team that plays good on-ball defense, which Rutgers does do, was going to produce this result against Seton Hall yesterday. That's that's only the point I was trying to make here is wait till Rutgers goes against some teams that know what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball, and it's probably not going to be as lopsided of a finish. The, the trend needs to slow down a little bit. Well, as I went to the DVR, Mike, I know it was hard to watch, and I know there were some plays that made me just shake my head and say, what the hell's going on? And I'll tell you this. People want to point that we had our two best players on the bench. I'm going to say this. Rutgers came out and made us look silly from jump. Two of the first three baskets they made 
were alley-oops where we were caught with our pants down. There should have been no way they got those two baskets in. And I just started looking at it going, oh, yeah, this is it. This is why we weren't in the game. Well, they, they scouted us. Well, look, look what happens when you do some scouting by your coaching staff. The, the alley-oops came from their bigs lobbing it back door to their forwards. So you pulled Obiagu away from the basket uh, in the action that they created, and then there was nobody left to protect the rim on the backside. So whatever kind of ball screen action they ran, your seven-footer that's supposed to be sitting there erasing those shots, nowhere to be found. Great coaching and great scouting on Rutgers side. Kudos to them. But, I mean, why is Obiagu coming 10 feet away from the basket to guard a guy that couldn't hit that shot 99 out of 100 times? I don't get it. I'll, I'll hit you with a couple others, and you tell me what you thought about this. I'll pick on Ike some more. So Geo Baker hit his second three-pointer uh, off a little dribble pick and roll. Uh, Nelson kind of tries to come over the top and gets kind of completely locked up. And Ike should technically be there on the top side of that pick and roll to kind of hedge Baker in, but he sags off and Baker hits the three. And I go to replay it. He wasn't like he sagged off by a foot or two and got a hand out there late. He was five feet off of Baker. Is, is that how we're playing our pick and roll now? That's that great defensive team that you talked about last week. Hey, Mike, I'll give you one better. Go ahead. So at one point in the game, Shavar and Gill tried to run a pick and roll, which is an interesting combo there in and of itself. And Shavar bounces a pass right at his ankles. Now, this is a seven-foot guy that you're throwing the ball down low. Not a whole lot of bigs want that ball that down low. And as a matter of fact, this isn't the first time he's done that with them. Ball goes out, they turn it over, and Gil's looking at him going, up here, up here. <laughs> you remember? <laughs> that was the best part about that play. Gil was the only one doing coaching. He's like, hey, I'm 7'2". I'm, I'm a legit 7'2", <laughs> up here. And that's not Gil's personality, man. He doesn't show people up. Uh, but, but you know what? Uh, on the other side of that... You know, maybe Gil could catch the ball. And he goes to try to get that passes down by the ankles, and he's fumbling it like it's a hot potato. He, no, he just it, doesn't that's have the, Mike, that's too much to ask for for big guys, man. You can't bring them down that low, man. Oh, boy. All right, I, I, got, I got one more for you. You're going to so, trump that? I'm going to trump this. There was two circumstances where we needed any signs of life offensively, and we get out on a three-on-one fast break, and we didn't score on either possession. So, so here's what I want to ask you, Tommy. I, I know you coach, and I know you played uh, in your younger days. I read out there on social media, you can't pick on the coaches because the team didn't execute a three-on-one fast break. College athletes at this point in their career should know what the heck they're doing on the fast break. That's on player execution. That's not on coaches. Let me ask you this. When you're out there coaching your girls' team or you played back in the day, what do you remember when it's a three-on-one fast break? Where does the ball need to go on the floor? Well, I'll tell you where I like to do it for that age group. Because I mean, it's it's a different world as you go up the uh, age groups, and and you know they they shoot threes now off of fast breaks, which you're not going to do with that's younger true. kids. That, that, that that's true. Okay, ball All goes right. middle. Why does the I'll ball go middle. go middle? Because then you have the entire court to work with. Do I go left? Do I go right? Maybe the point guard makes a move and goes straight up the middle. But now you have choices. What What's the responsibility of the guy with the ball in the middle? What's he supposed to be making the defender do? He's supposed to be making the defender commit. 
Thank you. So if he doesn't commit, then you can go all the way to the rim and finish on your own. If he does commit, you're supposed to kind of jump stop, kind of foul line, or maybe no more than the, you know, the, the imaginary circle that they draw, force him to commit to you, pass off to the two guys that are coming in wide, you know, creating passing lanes and trailing lanes so that once that player commits, the other player gets an easy layup. What I've noticed on our fast break execution, three on one, two on one, how many times does the guy with the ball end up taking a contested layup? Oh, a lot. And, you know, most of the times on those fast breaks, we're looking for Miles Powell to bail us out with a three. So, And you know what? I take I take umbrage with the fact that people are saying that college-level kids should know how to do this. It's all about repetition. You practice these things. You make them second nature. You right, need so, uh, to have repetition. You need to know that your guys are filling the lanes where they like it, how they like it. So I, I'm not trying to say that you and I now should be coaching the Pirates, but everybody likes to play a little bit of armchair quarterback the next day. And we just kind of highlighted three sequences where we were like scratching our head. And the reality of it all is I think there's a theme here that we're going to cover throughout most of our podcast today. And it, hopefully it's not going to be angry and it's going to be more objective and critical. You have high pick and roll defensive schemes with Obiagu in the Geo Baker situation. You have understanding your floor spacing when we got set up for the two backdoor alley-oops. You have understanding where to get your big men the ball in good position to attack with the Shavar and Gill pick and roll scenario. And then you have fast break execution where that should be an automatic two points minimum every time you get those chances in transition. This comes down to coaching fundamentals. And we said this over and over again, sometimes this team has won despite those fundamental executions. We've won more based on grit and heart and overall talent. And now we're starting to see where teams are prepared for us and us not kind of cleaning those things up have cost us some games down the stretch against Michigan State and Oregon. And now I'm concerned with some of our better scorers not taking the floor. Executional precision is going to be more important going forward than it ever has been. Well, I'm going to take it to a different level, Mike. You said the word preparation. I say this team wasn't prepared for this game. They came out. It was 7 nothing. 14 nothing, 19 to 3. They weren't mentally prepared for this. They weren't physically prepared for this. They weren't emotionally prepared for this. And everyone's going to point to Miles getting a concussion and he played a little he played sloppy obviously, which makes sense. You're not all in there. But even before that, it was 7 nothing when he took that charge, Mike. We weren't into the game. How do you not prep for your only rivalry game? People are going to say, we've got a rivalry with Nova. We've got a rivalry with Marquette. No. Nova, we're not a rival to Nova. Marquette, that was one year where we had some heated matchups with them. Yes, this year's game should be spicy, but there's no history. There's no there's no long track of games going against Marquette where we're fighting tooth and nail. This is it. This is in control of New Jersey. And we came out flat. We came out unemotional. And we just stunk the court up. I don't disagree. But I'm going to give you another side of the coin here, okay? Because everybody, including myself, I really want to kind of pick on Willard for not having that focus, not having that level of intensity. You know, that's your job as the locker room leader to make sure that they understand the magnitude, they understand the level of intensity, they understand and are prepared 
for the hostile environment that they're going into. I completely agree. But let, let me give you the the other side of that that coin, which is going to kind of defend Willard here a little bit. Let's look at this supporting cast that took the floor. and Because I'm overly concerned now with this supporting cast. And, and this might be picking on Willard down the road here, but let's just evaluate the execution or what the other players brought to the to the floor in the absence of Sandro. We knew that we were going to need to have some guys step up, right? So Sandro not being there, I know you picked on me for saying we were missing his 18 against Iowa State, but you're missing his leadership, you're missing his versatility, you're missing his scoring. All I read throughout the week was that Roden and Samuel were going to get a chance to fill his shoes, build some experience, and really take uh, the leap or have the opportunity to kind of steal the spotlight. How did Roden and Samuel do? Well, you know, there was a point in that game when I tweeted out they were 2 for 12 at that point shooting. For the game, they went 3 for 13, and they got 9 points, 2 of 9 from 3. They did grab 12 rebounds, primarily from Roden, which uh, I'm starting to look at Samuel going, dude, you're a big boy. You got to start boarding a little bit. But everything's from the outside. Everything's forced. They need to play offensively in the paint and at the rim. Roden has got to stop forcing his play. He works better in the offense when is when it's in the flow. And Mike, from that point, I'm going to go back and rebut your comment here. As a coach, when your guys are not playing, you've got to try something. You're down double digits. Your four is giving you basically nothing. Why not put Torian Thompson in the game, Mike, at that point? What's it going to hurt? You're going to play what the Torian Thompson? What are you going to lose? Already we're going to play the Torian Thompson card? I'm, no, I'm gonna ask. no, but, but the, pro the point is you've got another four, and you're down big-time points. I'm going to ask you to put the Torian Thompson card aside for a moment. I'll put it in I, my I, back pocket right now. Put it in your back. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. All right, moving I, on. I think. I think it's important to kind of stay here on the Samuel and Roden uh, evaluation because, once again, we, we sometimes read the final box score, and I don't think it tells the whole story. Roden hit a three late in the game, and he also got a steal for an uncontested dunk. That was extended garbage time at that point. So you take away those, those two baskets that he made in the last two minutes of the game and combine from your four, the guys that were supposed to be backfilling Sandro, you got one for 11. One for 11 and four points. So regardless of whether we came out with the right intensity, we are not winning that game with four points from our four spot. That card's hey, just creeping not. out my back pocket, Mike. That no, card's no, okay. creeping out. Keep, keep, keep it there for all a right. second. Okay. I want to move on before we, before we start bringing in all the reinforcements off the bench. Let's still focus on what we needed. We needed our complementary pieces to now take a major step. So Roden and Samuel completely missed out on their opportunity. Was It was their first. Maybe they'll find a way to do it in the, up, the upcoming games that they're given that same opportunity. But Miles Kale played only 23 minutes again and shot two of 10. One for five from three, only had two rebounds. And to me, it felt like he played a very soft game. And if there's anybody that needs to step up and become an alpha or become the leader right now, he needs to be one of those guys. And we are 10 games into his junior year I ask you, is that maybe a kind of personality that we are just never going to see? I, I, I don't think Miles it's game. part of his personality. I mean, we've we've heard from Willard. We've heard from articles. He's more of a quiet, low-key guy. I don't think he's going to be the guy that goes there. 
I mean, let's look about, let's, let's go all the way back. Let's psychoanalyze this all the way back to his high school days. He stayed at the local public high school. He, he didn't okay. go to like one of those bigger, you know, Catholic schools or, or, you know, academies where all they do is play basketball and, and star there. He was comfortable where he was at. And you know that maybe that's not his game. That doesn't mean you don't tweak him and say, Hey, we need you to be more aggressive. We need you to play better here. But I don't think he's going to take over the offense at times. I think he's going to be a complimentary piece. And maybe this is what you get when you don't have a real offensive system to showcase your pluses. You Once know, again, I, I, I'd love to see Kale when he's coming off of a, a curl play and he gets that ball kind of heading with a head of steam towards the the rim. Yeah, he hasn't really finished strong at the rim in, in the Rutgers game either, but he doesn't create well off of his own dribble. So a lot of his finishes So don't at the ask rim, him to do it. But that's all they, that's all that happened in this game. This game was all one-on-one hero ball. So every time that Kale got to the rim in this game, it was not off of situations where he was put into a position to succeed. It wasn't in transition. It wasn't slashing to the basket. It was him with the ball out high on the wing or at, at the top of the circle trying to beat his guy off the dribble man-to-man. That, that's not his game. And then when he finally did get an, an edge to get into the lane, he was, he was kind of caught off guard. He, he doesn't know how to finish when he's got a guy on his hip starting that far away from the basket. And what happens? Guys collapse. He doesn't know how to adjust. He doesn't know how to look to make the extra pass. That's just, just not his game. Uh, okay, all right, right, let, let's move on. So another player that has been in Willard's rotation that because of Miles' concussion got extended minutes yesterday when we were trying to mount a rally and the game actually mattered. So we've, we've picked on Shavar because a lot of his production has come in garbage time. And we said, look, We'll be fair. I would just like to see Shavar get some extended minutes when the game is still in the balance. I guess you could debate whether it was in the balance because we're getting our asses kicked the entire time. But he played when we still had a chance to make a comeback and played 21 minutes. And yesterday, in a game that truly highlighted players having to go one-on-one and showcase their skill set, he went one for eight, one for four from three with only three points. And Willard actually pulled him in the last five minutes. I wonder if we would have let Shavar go where we were looking at a one for 12. Isn't that when we're supposed to be watching him play in the last five minutes of a blowout, Mike? <laughs> oh. and, 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 seriously, I mean that's that's what you get. I wonder I, when people. I wonder all those people who were blowing up telling me about that seventy-five percent from three-point range are gonna say when he goes back to the meeting. I just think if Miles is going to be out for an extended period of time with this concussion. You have to temper the expectations of what you think you're going to get from Shavar. If Shavar is going to play 20 to 25 minutes in his replacement, you're not going to come anywhere close to that production. And I'm not saying like, okay, I expected him to be Powell. I expect him to be a two for seven type player because there's no, there's no secrets now. There's nobody else cheating off to leave Shavar open. If we don't have an, an individual playmaker out there, everyone's going to get played man to man straight up. Shavar is not going to get the open looks he has gotten. All right, let, let's move on. Once again, the five position, guys that we expected to be contributors yesterday. I know they had six blocks between Gill and Obiagu. Please do not get fooled by those six blocks. They grabbed four rebounds, four rebounds. What is going on with the production from our five spot? This is what we've been getting, man. And again, we don't board well as a team. The fundamentals aren't there. We don't block out. We don't roll to the basket. We kind of watch. There's a lot of watching around. You you will see opposing teams, one guy crashing the boards, 
and he's the only opposing jersey around three blue jerseys, and he comes up with the board because they want it more. So there's a couple of things that I noticed yesterday, and because I want to go back to this don't be fooled by the blocks mentality. How many times did you see Rutgers drive into the paint or get the ball on the baseline and have that guy attack the basket, and then you knew or they knew that Gil and Obiago were going to leave their feet, and then they would kind of just dish it off to the weak side for an easy layup? So now we're being scouted to the point where they're like, hey, if you see these big guys coming at you, gather yourself, look to make the pass, and we're going to get an easy deuce. I'm also going to sit there and say that just because you have six blocks doesn't always translate to a positive for the team. And you're like, what the heck is he talking about? My father said that when he watched Bill Russell play back in the day, what made Bill Russell so great is that when Bill Russell would block you, he had this uncanny ability to keep the ball in play to turn the possession over for the Celtics. How many times yesterday, or how many times do you see Obiagu or Gill block a shot and send it 10 feet out of bounds? What does that do at that point? I, I Yeah, and this is, I understand that everybody's heard that story, Mike. I don't mind the throwing the ball into the crowd. It, it There's a definite psychological effect that it has on players. It, but in the big picture, I think we've used our bigs as a crutch to not play better defense on the perimeter. Okay. Why, why are they Why are they leaving their man to block the shot? Well, because one of our perimeter defenders got beat off the dribble or the ball moved and we weren't moving with the rotations. So Why does it, why does it have to be a block shot every time? Why can't – and uh, you're going to make fun of me now. Now you're going to make fun of me. I'm opening myself up. I'm giving you a little preface to this. Willard's second year, Aaron Jaramaport or Jeremy Rapport. I don't I, – yeah, I, I see your eyes Are coming through the conference really zoom. Are really going to bring in just, this? Just, just let me go here. Let me go here. The, the kid had limited skill sets defensively. He was seven foot two. What he did not do was come out to try to block every shot. And – from time to time, he was, I can't he was like, oh, just let me go with this. Surprisingly, he was effective by just coming out and walling up seven feet tall with his hands to the sky. I would just like to see Gil and Obiagu once in a while adjust their approach to do something like that, be fundamentally sound in using their seven-foot wingspan. I'm surprised you didn't bring Grant into this discussion either. Grant certain guys foot. can't jump no matter how tall they are <laughs> certain guys can come on can you give me jim dickinson you're, you're, Let's do some jim you're dickinson wasting your to certain degrees i mean yes in certain times you probably need to wall up and in certain times you need to block the shot poor aaron poor grant they were always walling up because they weren't blocking anybody's <laughs> shot let's move on mike you're, you're you're listen old man stop yelling at the clouds okay right, let's so move on i'm gonna let you take that card out of your pocket now so here are all the guys that we had ex you know with expectations to come into this game backfill sandro create the complimentary pieces they all all had a very bad game or an off night whatever you want to call it nothing was working and our biggest challenge was was not just defense it was we couldn't throw the ball in the ocean so i kind of somewhat agree with you if you can't figure out a way to put the ball in the basket and nobody from your front court is having any level of success. You have eight points combined from your two centers and Roden and Samuel, other than the last two minutes in the game. Why not see what you could get at a Torian Thompson? Mike, I would have brought in everybody yesterday. You weren't getting anything from anyone. 
I would have brought in Thompson. I would have brought in Brody. I would have said, Avent, get in there. I love playing walk-on guys. Avent, get in there and play some ball, okay? What did it matter yesterday? We were we were down our two top scorers. We were down anywhere between 14 and 18 points for the majority of that game. We weren't making any kind of runs. Empty your bench. See what you can get from people. Hey, maybe Thompson goes in there and scores a couple buckets and actually shows some life on defense. Maybe Darnell Brody puts someone on, someone on his backside. I don't care at that point. At this point, I'm thinking Willard is almost punishing Thompson for faults of other people. If you're going to leave him on your roster, you might as well use him, especially if the guys in front of him aren't worth a darn that night. Right. So, so, And there was nothing to lose at this point. You were now consistently down 20 points the majority of that game. So it's not like you're going to sit there and come in the post game and say, hey, I can't trust Thompson defensively. He hasn't shown it to be in practice. He didn't show it on the court last year. You know what? In, in a two-possession game, I can't take the risk of putting him out there and kind of being a liability on defense. You're down by 20. I wake up this morning, and my buddy sends me a tweet from John Rothstein. And I got to look at this tweet where John Rothstein is shilling T-shirts to make a profit. And one of the four T-shirts he has advertised up on his website is Kevin Willard has more adjustments than a chiropractor, right? It just says the chiropractor on the shirt. So Rothstein has been pitching that line forever now. Now I see why he's trying to make a buck. But the reality is if you truly believe that Kevin is this good with all of his adjustments, here's here's the adjustment I would have made. You roll out Thompson for a four or five minute stretch just to see if you can get something offensively on the inside. What's the adjustment defensively? Go zone. Go zone. You got you got Gill in the middle or Ike in the middle, play Thompson on the wing, and go back to a two-three zone that he somewhat felt comfortable with when he played at Syracuse. Just try anything. You're down 20. If there's a chance to play mad scientist and not have any negative fallout because it couldn't have gotten any worse. This was the opportunity. Well, Mike, we've ignored two elephants in the room that I'm going to bring up right now. One kind of leads into the next. Obviously, Miles Powell suffered a concussion at about the 17 and a half minute mark of the first half, taking a charge. And then it might have gotten worse a few seconds later uh, after there was a head bump with Tyrese Samuel. So, you know, these things, these things happen. You know, they're, I'm assuming it was hard to diagnose. I'm not blaming anyone on the staff for keeping them in because one game in the middle of December is not worth the health, especially the brain health, of anyone. You know, you have to be real sensitive with that, and we wish them nothing but the best. Take your time, get healthy, and move on. But this is what leads to it, Mike. For a game of this magnitude, for the amount of time you had to prepare, you had six days of doing nothing but preparing for this game. Yes, I know it's exam week, but you had six games of nothing else but to prepare for this game. Rutgers was better prepared emotionally. It was better prepared game plan wise. We came out flat with no sense of urgency. Even with Miles in there, even with Miles healthy, and once he went down, we were like a lost puppy out there. We had no idea where we were going to go. And this isn't the first time in history 
where teams have lost their best players and still perform like this. We There are examples of teams still putting up the fight. And I think the anger and the pitchfork and the torches that are going throughout South Orange is because of that. We were unprepared. We lost. We've lost before. We've lost poorly before. I don't remember a game where we walked into a, an arena and were this unprepared for it. So, Tom, I think you make a bunch of great points there, and I think it's a perfect lead-in to our, our next segment. You know, Willard actually once again addresses the team being prepared based on these injuries going forward. I think we should do what we did a couple podcasts ago, and we should dive into the Willard post-game quote book. What do you think? Sure. And one that starts off that kind of leads into that whole preparation concept is his comments on Rutgers start in the opening minutes. So here he goes. Coach Willard, I think they did a good job and just jumped on us. I didn't do a very good job getting these guys ready for this atmosphere. The only ones that have really played in this atmosphere before were Miles Powell and Miles Kale. And Sandro played a little bit. But we talked about it a little bit, and I didn't want to kind of get them thinking about it. But I didn't do a good enough job of just getting them to understand what this game and what this atmosphere is like. I've been here now 13 times and I should have done a better job. Where do we want to go this time? I'm not going to I'm not going to get angry and animated like I did last time. But let's let's be critical, but let's also be objective. One of the things we asked Kevin to do a better job going forward with was creating more accountability in his postgame quotes. So he does that here. Right. He does sit there and instead of just blaming or deflecting, I think he does start off by saying, look, this is on me to an extent. I think there is some a little bit about of excuses. Once again, well, only miles, uh, both miles actually were the ones in this environment, you know, Sandro a little. And, you know, I, I, I didn't do a good job of getting them prepared enough. Well, let's talk about that. Well, what what does he mean by not prepared enough? Well, here, here's here's my take on it. And, Mike, I'm going to go to overreaction Monday levels of uh, take on this one. Okay, go ahead. I think it's a dereliction of duty at this point that he did not get them to understand what kind of atmosphere you're getting into. He just tried to make this game sound like it was going to be any other game. And have we were talking about it since the beginning, since with the time we did the preview for the season, this was Rutgers Super Bowl. This was their championship. This was the end-all, be-all. And how do I know that? The damn fans rushed the court at the end of it. That's the atmosphere he should have prepped them for. All right, I'll, I'll come around. I won't get angry, but I'll come around to your line of thinking. Let's try to, once again, relate it to what we do in our work-life balance, right? And what we do to kind of prepare for our jobs on a daily basis. If you had a huge presentation that you had to make for a client and you came into that meeting and completely bombed that presentation and then you stepped out of that meeting and your boss said, hey, what happened? And your response was, you know what? I just didn't prepare for this. How, how would that go down with your boss? Oh, it, it, it wouldn't be pretty. Right, so I think the fan kind of hears a comment like that and they kind of equate it to their own perspective of what they can relate to. And they're like, that would not be acceptable in my life. Why should that be acceptable as a reason for failure here by Kevin? So if you're telling me you needed to prepare them for the atmosphere, I think it's pretty simple. Hey, you just played in an atmosphere like that in your own building. Hey, guys, 
We had 17,000 crazy fans at, you know, when Michigan State came to town. It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be that same level of noise. Hey, we went to Iowa State. There were times we didn't get calls. The times that the fans were just getting ready to get ramped up against us. It's going to be the same environment times two, times three, times ten. No matter how bad you want to win this game, you said it. This is their Super Bowl. They're going to try to fight you for every ball and just kind of get down and dirty with you. We didn't do that. I was more upset by the lack of intensity by the team coming out in that environment more than anything else. To me, that showed the lack of preparedness. Well, if you liked excuses before, you're going to love the next one. So someone asked about the importance of the Maryland game. Is it still a big game? What's going on there? And Willard says the following. They've all been big. I think this is our first home game in 30 days. I'm just looking forward to being home, catching a home game. The schedule not having the arena last week before Iowa State at Iowa State hurt us. I would have loved to have another home game at some point in this stretch. We've only played four games at home. We've almost played more road games than we have home games. No one else has done that. That's hurt us tremendously. I'm just looking forward to having a home game. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep my composure. I said I'd keep it cool this time, right? So I, I, got, a, I got a couple issues here. Uh, let, let's start with number one. If you wanted to have another home game to kind of prepare differently or have a, have a little more transition between the Iowa State game and the Rutgers game. He even said he wished he had another home game in between the Bahamas and the Iowa State game. I understand there's going to be scheduling issues with the Prudential Center, but you have Walsh. You know, go find a bye game and bring in another tune-up to Walsh Gym. I know you're not going to get the same revenue out of it, but Walsh is available. You can control that. I'm not okay with that being an excuse. And number two, you know, it's back to complaining about the schedule again. Who makes the schedule? I know Kevin's going to sit there and go, well, we didn't have control over that. We got a predetermined tournament for the holiday around Thanksgiving. You have the Big East Big 12 Challenge where Iowa State was scheduled. And Rutgers is a return uh, home and home series, you know, back and forth for the Garden State Classic. Sure. But Kevin, last year you played 12 non-conference games. Guess how many you had home? Six. Guess how many you had away or neutral? Six. This year? Six away or neutral this year, six home. So it's apples to apples the same as it was last year from a collective, I'm not at home. Why are we making excuses again? Uh, you know, I'm sure we could have convinced a St. Peter's, an Iona, Ryder, someone to come into Walsh and play a game if he was really that concerned. But the bigger thing, Mike, he's deflecting the question. The question Absolutely. was... Is Maryland an important game? And I, I mean, that's kind of a dumb question, and I don't really have the actual verbiage of the question. Of course, it's a big game. It's a big game whether we're 9-0 and or whether what we are at this point. But deflect, deflect, deflect. No, he didn't, he didn't answer it. He did not sit there and say, you know what? In order for us to salvage our non-conference schedule and put a resume-building win, you know, uh, in front of the committee, yes, we have to go get this Maryland game. We're all thinking it. He didn't say it because why? That would put the microscope on the team again. That would add the pressure. He likes to flex to kind of take that pressure away. I don't know if that's a good strategy or not. 
He also didn't really address the injuries, or, or, or does he? What, what's the next quote? All right, so the final one we're going to look at is actually about how he's going to get the team to regroup among the injuries and the losses. And like a good Catholic boy, he goes straight for the jugular here. I've got to go to church a little bit more, I think. To be perfectly honest with you, I still have the same amount of confidence in this team as I did three months ago, two months ago, last month when we lost to Michigan State. I just have to figure out the four spot because more than anything, that's really hurting us right now. It hurt us against Iowa State. And again, it's not like they're not, Jared and Tyrese can't do a good job, but to expect to fill the role that we put Sandro in in just a matter of a week is just unrealistic expectations. And I don't want them. They're going to get it. And it's going to be real good, but I just have to be really patient. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to figure it out because they're both capable. But to ask them to do what I asked Sandra to do is just impossible right now. And I've got to figure it out. What's missing from this quote? I understand that we're talking about what's going on with the four. We talked about how Roden and Samuel fell short of the opportunity to step up against Rutgers. Who's missing from this quote? It's well, not just the Sandro injury, right? Miles Powell's concussion is missing from this. Again, we don't have exactly how the question was worded. No, I, I understand that it, to my recollection, he was asked about Powell on another question relative to his postgame, and he addressed that Miles is not going to play. But going forward relative to the Maryland game, relevant to how you're going to regroup relative to the injuries, plural, Miles has got to be a part of that. You made a good point earlier when you said other teams in the past have found ways to reinvent themselves and continue to go on and win. You and I were discussing this offline uh, after the game and saying, hey, remember back in the day, I think it was like 2009, 2010, All-American Luke Hanrangodi for Notre Dame goes down for an injury with an injury and misses nine games that year for Notre Dame. And they go on to reinvent themselves. Mike Bray was masterful. He went from this high-scoring team that was in the 80s, and all of a sudden he grinded you out in the mid-50s and low-60s every night. They ran an offensive set that kind of passed the ball and milked the shot clock. They looked for backdoor cuts. I, I won't say it's a Princeton offense, but they made you work on the defensive side and limited the number of possessions knowing that they could no longer outscore you in the 80s. And they won. They had two major upsets. It was home against Pitt, who was ranked 12th, and then they went on the road and beat a Georgetown team that was also ranked in the top 15. And that team ultimately goes on to make the NCAA tournament. What I want to see from Willard right now relative to a question like this is, you know what, what's your identity going to be? How are you truly going to regroup? You know, Maryland was going to be a tough game no matter what, even if you were at full strength. You got fans out there going, this is going to be a bloodbath come Thursday. Kevin, how are you going to roll out the balls on Thursday and reinvent this team to be competitive and possibly steal a win? Or is he already building in the excuse that, please, don't hold me accountable for next Thursday because Powell's not playing, Sandro's not playing, and you know what? You just got to be patient. It's not enough time to expect Roden and Samuel to figure this thing out yet. That's what I'm getting from that quote. Okay, let's play armchair coach, if you will. How would we go in there and make the changes necessary to overcome the losses of both Sandro and Miles? What do we do? Oh, I, 
I, I kind of want to go back to that Notre Dame style and kind of limit the number of possessions. Uh, you know, you had two players that created complete mismatches for the other team. I, I don't want to press now, right? I, I don't want to up the tempo and, and, and put more shots on the board. I want this to be a grinded out kind of game. But that concerns me at, at the same time. Our half court play has not been our strength. And now you're going to take away the two players that were probably your best options in the half court. I'll start with this. What if we just get back to some basics of playing guys at their natural position? How about that? Okay, so let's let's talk about what the LCP projected starting five and rotation for the Maryland would game would be. Okay, uh, let let me start off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Making his first collegiate start, Anthony Nelson at the one. Tom, I, I I've been asking for this forever. I mean, did you see the last two buckets? That Nelson scored late in that game. I know it's a 20-point game, but I'm, I'm going to try to take any positive that I can from that Rutgers game. He beats Baker off the dribble twice, showing you his ball handling skills and basically scores two really nice kind of little floaters in the lane. You know, he didn't play a great game either, but that flash for those back-to-back possessions just shows a skill set that outside of Powell, nobody else has on this team. So I'm with you. Put him at the point. All right. Moving to the two, we're going to use Quincy McKnight in the position he's probably more made for. We're going to stick him at the two to start. What a concept. He scored 18 a game at Sacred Heart. Wow, let let the man try to score the ball. I I also try to take a positive away from that Rutgers game. Early in the second half, Q goes on a mini run of his own, scoring eight straight points for the Pirates. Hit a three, hit a drive. When Q kind of gets his offensive game going, yeah. I'm, uh, he's not going to replace Powell, but sure, I think he'd be more natural there. Absolutely. Okay, so the next two positions we've got, I call him into a session in the coach's office before we get there for different reasons, and we get their heads straight. Miles Kale starts at the three for me after I have a little discussion of him needing to be the man now on that starting five. Okay, but but what do we do differently to get Kale the ball in better positions? We talked about this earlier. I, I can't have the yo-yo for Kale. I gotta, I'm gonna tell Kale and say, you know what? Tonight, you get in 35 minutes. I'm gonna let you play through it, right? So you might go through some rough stretches. Don't look over your shoulder. You get in 35 minutes tonight. Put your head down and just keep sticking with it. Now, after Kale's done with my meeting, I bring in Jared Roden at the four. And I tell him, Jared, I love the energy you bring. I love the fact that on the defensive end in the glass, you don't let your offensive struggles bother you and you still give me that effort. But I need you to wake up and I need you to play within yourself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you here. I, I say you let Samuel start. Why? Because I love the energy that you just described that Roden brings. And if you have Roden in the starting rotation, who is bringing you that energy off the bench? Please please don't say Shrevar. <laughs> I won't argue with you. You know what? Either way, I'm, I'm, I don't think no, it's I, that I, much. I just want someone to come off the bench in the front court. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing Shrevar. That was that was not a fair shot there, Shrevar. Um, Shrevar is now going to have to play major minutes off the bench as a backup eh, and bring we'll that energy. We'll get there. Well, Mike, don't. Don't. Step on my toes right, here. Right, we'll talk right. about rotation shortly. <laughs> Starting at the five, Romaro. Right, so I, I just think I just think Samuel might get integrated into the game better. You get him. You get him the start. You know he doesn't have to kind of feel like he has to do something to prove himself off the bench. It always seems that when he gets in the game, the minute he gets his hands on the ball, he's looking to put up the first shot. I don't know if that's to prove something. I don't know if that's to get into the game. But maybe if he starts, 
Maybe he goes down into the block. Maybe he plays in the paint a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe we tell him to start down at the block and play in the paint a little more. Maybe that'll help. Anyway, again, at the five, I start off with Romaro Gill. <laughs> I understand what Willard was trying to say about starting Ike because you, you know what you're getting out of row and you don't have to worry about it. Maybe hiding Ike in there with the starters helps you out a bit, but Rowe's been more productive. He needs to get out there, needs to set the tone. So with that about, being said. How ahead. about this? I, I don't care. I don't care whether it's Roe. I don't care whether it's Ike. I do. You know, if he feels like he's got to get one guy jump started over the other by putting one person into the starting lineup, that's fine. I'm I have an issue with this. Do we have to play them a combined 40 minutes? It feels like he's kind of married to this. Well, if one's not on the court, I'm going to play the other. You know what? Let's just go with the best lineup at that time. And if it's five athletic players and we run a really small lineup out there. Okay. Hey, great from day one. I was saying I wouldn't be surprised no matter who was starting. Sandro was going to finish at the five. Right. I remember that. Roe has had games where he's finished. I, I, I don't have enough confidence right now in Ike to see Ike finishing down the stretch in games, but we've had confidence in certain situations where Roe finishes. But if Roe's not having a good game and we're getting the same production from Ike, why can't we go five small? Why can't it be Samuel and Roe and Gil, I mean, and, and Kale and, and whoever else we have in the backcourt at that point? Why not? Play your best five, play your most productive five. Now, you mentioned before you see Shavar playing heavier minutes. I don't know if I agree with you. And I think it's a matter of getting a little slick with your rotations. You got Nelson. Who's going to back him up? Well, my opinion, you're going to move Q to the point when you're sitting at Nelson. I don't think you have a choice. You have two point guards technically on this team, Nelson and Q. You got to back each other up. Who's going to back up Q? Well, I think you slide Kale down there and maybe steal a few minutes in there with Shavar. That's what Shavar's role should be. He's supposed to go in there and steal a few minutes when Miles Powell needs a few minutes of rest. Past that, you're playing with fire. Who so backs up? Asking me to play armchair quarterback, or you're asking me to predict what Willard's going to do? No, no, this is our rotation at this I, point, Mike. If, this if is, I, we're not I predicting get, what he's going to do. We're all right. If I, if I get to hold the clipboard, I've been saying that when you have a healthy Powell. And a healthy Sandro, that should be the rotation that when when uh, Miles goes out, you move Q over to the two guard and let Nelson get some more minutes or vice versa. You slide, you know, Powell over to lead guard once in a while and let Kale play the two and Roden the three. I thought they had interchangeable parts the entire year. He has loyalty and a love affair to Shavar for whatever his reasons are. I do not see that changing now that you are shorthanded, it, specifically at the two guard. I, I just don't see it. Moving on. Another interesting piece. Who do you back up Kale with? I'm, all you got is Roden, to be honest with you. You got to throw Roden in there. Now, people are going to sit back and say, you're backing up your guys with your starters. This is really going to take some adjustments. We need a pro- chiropractor here to move things around a little bit. But it's not unheard of here. Because at the four, so you started Samuels, I started Roden. You know who becomes a big part of this team again? It's Thompson. It's the wild card that we talked about earlier. So, yes, we said it. We're not going to beat this to a dead horse. I would roll the dice in this game, especially if things are going to go south a little bit and you fall behind. I'm going to roll the dice and see if I can get lightning in a bottle with Thompson like I did in that Kentucky game. 
I, I don't believe it's going to work, but I got to give it a try right now, right? But I got to sit there and say, point, I, what do you got to lose? Nothing. I, I have Sandro out for six weeks. I got to see if I have something. I got to see if there is an offensive spark that Thompson can possibly bring to the table. And I have to try to hide him on defense. We talked about that. I, I don't know. And it's, who comes it, in and who comes in the backup row? You got Ike. If you're asking me how I feel about this upcoming Maryland game, I'm not trying to be glass half empty. I am really concerned about how we line up for this Maryland game. I just, I really do. You're talking about a team that is 10 and one ranked in the AP Number five coming into this week. I know they lost to Penn State on the road, but but they're they're an elite team, and it, it was supposed to be another elite matchup. And if they're going to play the way that they played, twenty point win against Notre Dame, winning the Orlando Invitational, you know they got two two players that were ranked in the top twenty five coming into the season on like you know it was Andy Katz's best players in the country list in Anthony Cowan. And Jalen Smith, this is a great, let me rephrase, very, very good team. I can't put them in the great category yet, but they are a very, very good team. And you're missing your two best players. You can tinker, you can do whatever you want with your hypotheticals. You can't tell me going into this game, you're excited about the prospects of us winning. Well, at, with go, going back to our rotation, we're still at a nine-man rotation. Nothing we talked about here is undoable or unheard of. It takes a little tinkering. Yeah, you're just asking a lot for it to kind of get rolled out in this first game against Maryland. If it was the Prairie View game after this and you had a chance to ramp it up for a game, great. And and then kind of build into the Maryland game. This I'm not trying to make excuses for Kevin, but this is a tall task, which is why I think he stayed away from answering that question. But at this point, Mike, you don't have a game to kind of tinker around with it. You're rolling this out against Maryland, whether you like it or not. You got to try something or it's going to be another 20, 30 point loss, man. They need to show something coming up this week. Look, I'll say this. You you kind of highlighted the fact that you can still go with a nine man rotation in this hypothetical you know, starting lineup backup rotation that you just kind of rolled out. Right. We've always said that the calling card for this year's team was going to be its depth. Yes, we're, we're taking away two of its fundamental pieces that contribute to that overall depth. But you still rolled out nine guys that you thought potentially could be contributors. Maryland on the other side, they roll with five guys that play 25 plus minutes a game. And then after that, their bench, not one player averages more than 10 minutes a game. As crazy as this sounds, maybe you hit them with the bench and constantly rolling wave after wave in, or you or you roll with your best guys and you go punch for punch. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have an answer this time. You brought up Maryland, Mike. It's another Big Ten opponent. Maryland hasn't exactly looked unbeatable in the past week or so, Mike. Two games ago against Illinois, they trailed at half by 15. Their recent loss to Penn State of all teams, they trailed it by 10. It's been nine days since they lost to Penn State. So they've had a bunch of time to prepare. They've also had a bunch of time to get rusty. Okay, so you're going to hope look for a silver lining here. The last two games that we played, we've had a lot of time to prep. And what's happened? We come out really, really sluggish at Iowa State and against Rutgers, putting in less than, what, it was 26 points against Iowa State in the first half and then 23 versus Rutgers. And you look at what right now Maryland has done in their last two games. You just said it. They got off to slow starts, 15 down and a half to Illinois, 10 to Penn State. Maybe the combination of their long layoff, their recent struggles to get off to a good start, maybe they come into the Rock 
and the crowd is on our side because I'm assuming people are still going to come to the game since they bought the tickets. And maybe Maryland gets off to a rocky start throughout most of the first half. And that builds the confidence in our guys to say, you know what? We can hang with these guys still. You know, let, let, we, we got this still. We, we have a shot. If, if they get the same results early on like they did against Rutgers, I think it's going to be tough for them to recover. I think they're going to get down on themselves from a confidence perspective. But whether that initial storm, okay, I'm with you. You mentioned that Maryland actually has five starters who play more than 25 minutes a game. Their big dogs on that team are Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith. They're both their offensive centerpieces here. Now, again, because they're relying on such heavy minutes from their starting five, is that going to come back to bite them, especially on the road? It might. You know what? You know what the stats stood out for me when I was kind of looking at, at their overall performance so far this year? I mean, Cowan and, and Smith numbers, are they're just solid. I mean, Cowan's 16 points a game, four and a half assists. Smith is averaging a double-double at 13 and a half and 10 rebounds. I mean, I think they're going to get theirs. I mean, Q last year shut down Cowan. So maybe you get a repeat performance of that. But you have to assume that the law of averages are their best guys are going to perform. But as a team, they shoot only 42% from the floor, and they shoot 30% from three. And knowing that we cannot afford to lose Q for the offensive you know, punch that he's going to provide for us, maybe we don't stick him on Cowan and put him in a one-on-one situation where he might draw a couple fouls. Why don't we go zone? On paper, this team tells you that they don't shoot the ball well. Why don't we go zone? Well, to make up for their poor shooting, Mike, they have been fantastic on defense this year so far. Maryland is currently holding their opponents to 62 points per game. Where are we going to get our points from? <laughs> That's why I don't like this matchup. I mean, so we, we scored 48 against Rutgers. We struggled with Miles Powell uh, to score at Iowa State. This team plays some pretty good defense. It could snowball. Look, I, we could be absolutely surprised. And Willard pushes the right buttons. You know, our, our backs are up against the wall. That's when he does his best, best coaching, they say, right? Oh, stop it, Michael. But I'm concerned about the snowball effect. The Rutgers game had a snowball effect with the way that started. Now, because we're at home, maybe if a couple things go well, that once again, that crowd will help balance things out. But if Maryland locks us down like they've done to other opponents this year, we better win a rock fight. You know what's interesting about Maryland? It, they kind of mirror us to a certain point. They've had a really good run in the past four or five years. I believe they've made the NCAA tournament in every year except for one. They've finished the year ranked in two of those years. But Mark Turgeon's on the hot seat over there, Mike. Well, is he? I mean, they're, I haven't heard that from anybody in writing, but I think from a fan perspective, just kind of the way we look at it, I think they have a different bar that they want to raise. Uh, so it's like we, we talked to Chris Solari about Michigan State and saying, well, what's the bar for them? He completely didn't even hesitate. He was like, final four is the bar. I don't think early exit for Maryland fans is acceptable. I think they expect Sweet 16 and beyond every year, and they have not reached that plateau on a consistent basis with as good of teams that he's put together. I mean, here's a team that for Maryland was preseason top 10. Do you think they're okay with going out in the first round? No, probably not. But Mike, is that a realistic expectation for a Maryland? You know, in my lifetime and obviously yours, they've won one national title. Okay. They won a national title. Right, okay. but, but, yeah, national 20 title? years ago. So they should expect it every year. I understand they're in the Big Ten now, but they were competing at the highest levels of the ACC. I mean, this I, is not I don't a, know if I a mid-level program. I don't know if I would have said they were the highest levels of the ACC, Mike. They had That's some nice fair. years. That is know. not fair. I don't know. I, don't I see know. where you're going with this, though. Could they have similar pressure in their expectations this year like we have? 
Sure, but they're ten and one. Yeah, they're no, ten and one. We're six and four. I, I think they're doing fine. I don't know what you want me to say here. <laughs> if you're asking me to make a prediction for the upcoming Maryland game, I don't want to be glass half empty. I don't want to be negative. You know, neg- negative Nelly over here. They're probably going to lose. The, the, the stars are not aligned for us to win this game. Is Powell going to come out of the, the concussion protocol and all of a sudden pull a repeat of the Michigan State game? Sure, we got a shot right now. I don't have the confidence that Willard's going to make these adjustments and our hypothetical armchair quarterback that's going to magically change in, in four days. I don't believe that. Stranger things have happened, Mike. Play right, with right, me. Right. So on I'm any trying given night, to stay positive here, Mike. So, so then say to me on any given night when you're going to put, you know, 10,000 plus into your building, anything can happen in, in the NCAA kind of basketball world. Fine, say that. Uh, college teams, college teams in general don't travel well, especially outside of the conference. You kind of forget though. This is a little bit of a revenge game for Maryland. The, the, the same guys that were on the roster last year that lost the game at home to us, I you know they probably marked this on their calendar too as a a little bit of a revenge game. I, the, the stars don't feel aligned for this one. I'm sorry, they just don't. I could be wrong. You know what? And, and maybe, maybe I will be proved differently, and we'll have a bunch of "Whoa, did you see those moments?" Well, no matter <laughs> how bad the Rutgers game was, there were still a couple "Whoa, did you see that?" moments come out of it. Where do you want to start? I know we were kind of debating. Well, I, let, I, let's, I, let's I like, start. I like let's start with the more Harper. impressive one. Let's start with the more I, impressive one. Well, my my votes for Obiagu's block on Harper because I, I wanted to see Harper. Okay, kind of that's the less place. impressive one. But okay, tell me about yeah, Obiagu's block on Harper. To, to me, it was all about who he was doing it to. All I had to read in the write-ups for the entire week is Ron Harper. Ron Harper is going to be you know, national player of the year all of a sudden. So <laughs> watch him get stuffed. That was, And then all of a sudden, he, you know, he gets a three and then gets an M1. And I was like, ah, crap. Well, I'll tell you this. A concussed Miles Powell running down and throwing a huge block on Mathis was my woe. Did you see that moment? Especially after we found out he was concussed. I, I can give the vote to Miles on this one just because of the circumstances surrounding it. And to be honest, when a smaller guy takes a ball and essentially pins it off the backboard and sends it ricocheting another 10 feet back, I was, I was pretty much a woe. Did you see that? Now, Mike, before the game, when I found out who was carrying Seton Hall Rutgers, I kind of had a little sadness. The Big Ten Network, every time I listen to them, it just drives me insane. For a big-time college conference to put out these type of announcers, I knew immediately it was going to be an awful game. And Brandon Gordon and Bob, former Rutgers coach Wenzel, proved me right. Well, that's the issue is I think Bob typically does a decent job. Decent job. I'm not going to put him in the upper echelon of announcers. But when he gets a Rutgers game, oh, it's the worst. It really is. And it, he he didn't prove me wrong today. I mean, right right off the bat, uh, you know, Rutgers goes on that big run. They go to a timeout, and it felt like he was jumping out of his seat. Wait, wait, which team is ranked 22nd in the country? Come on, Bob. Call the game down the middle. I mean, really? I mean, we were like, what, six minutes into the game? Four minutes? I don't know what it was when he said at this point, but it was almost like he was burying Seton Hall dead at this point. He even started the telecast going, oh, I remember these days. I can't wait. There's a great crowd here. I thought he was going to get out there and do the halftime speech with Chiano. I really did. Oh, man. Keep yeah. going. He, he, had a, he had a bunch. 
He had a bunch of doozies. Keep going. Well, there was a point in the game when Ron Harper Jr.'s bringing up the ball on the break in the second half, and and he's and he almost travels with it. And, and Bob Wenzel, the coach that he is of Rutgers, he's saying, screaming, "Stop! Stop!" You know, it's like he's like willing Ron Harper Jr. to stop before he does a violation. I was so happy that he actually ended up traveling on that play. I really did. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, Bobby traveled. Now you get more the heads up you wanted, Bobby. Still traveled. Uh, okay. Two minutes to go in the ruck in the game, and Rutgers has an inbounds pass in the far right corner of the backcourt. Keep in mind the score is now a 20-point margin. And Wenzel goes. Crack announcing here. Just listen. That's a tough place to inbound the ball. That's why Mulcahy's subbing into the game right now. He's the better passer. They didn't even pressure the ball. We were in like, Willard had like a little three quarters press going on. And Wenzel in a 20 point game is trying to give you the breakdown X's and O's as why there was a sub coming in. He took out, he took out Miles Johnson. So Miles Johnson can get the uh, ovation from the fans as he kind of takes him out the game. But he's got to tell you, okay, he's the better passer here. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then finally, Brandon Gordon, not to be overshadowed here by Bobby. He says, two minutes left to play, 66-46, the score on the board. He he passes on this nugget. Credit Kevin Willard and Seton Hall. They are still fighting here. I'll tell you, Mike, I don't know if I saw a whole lot of fight for the entire game, but what are you talking about there, Brandon? Uh, how about we just end the podcast here on the fact that I hope they are still fighting here as we head into the Maryland game and we can come back and talk about, even if it's a, even if it's a loss, how the team kind of gutted it up and made the fan base proud for the effort that they're going to put forth in the next game. And I think that's what it comes to. I think the disappointment doesn't necessarily lie in the loss at this time. It's how the loss occurred. And, you know, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of negativity on Twitter. Obviously, you know, I made my jokes. Everything's going on. And some of the players are out there already tweeting back, you know, uh, those that are with you in the hard times, those are the really ones that count and, you know, all the hate, yada, yada, yada. This isn't coming from a place of hate. People need to realize that. We're bringing back and making analysis on what we saw. And if what we saw upsets your sensibilities, I get it. But you know what? This is what we saw. We're not going to put on the blue-tinted glasses and tell you everything's going to be okay and tuck you in at night. It's just not what's going to happen here. Here is the issue. We are a third of the way through the season. The clock is quickly starting to run out the window to get all these marquee victories that we talked about in the last podcast that window is gone it's the maryland game only next and we're talking about you know with the lack of players that are going to take the court for us due to injury that might not be realistic so now you head into a big east gauntlet and with you know your best players being out it ain't going to get any easier it's going to be hard to run the table and pull a 13 and 5 14 and 4 the reality is that if they had a successful 500-type conference record while they wait for Sandro to get healthy again, that would be pretty successful. But it's going to fall short of the bar to build an NCAA tournament resume. And you hope that Powell's back healthy and Sandro's back healthy. Maybe they win the Big East tournament and lock up an automatic bid that way, or they have a really good showing for the last couple weeks of the year and their record's on on the fringe and the committee makes an exception due to injuries. But right now, 
This is not trying to be the sky is falling. Their resume does not put them in the NCAA tournament as it stands today. It does not. And Mike, before we close out this podcast, one last segment. It may be stalled on the road, but the road to 2494 is still going on. With six points, Miles is now at 1875, just 31 points short of Mark Bryant. It's going to take another hit again. If he doesn't play in the Maryland game, and he really didn't play in the Rutgers game, he loses another two games in total that we were trying to balance out these averages of somewhere between, you know, 22, 24. Is the team going to play four games of postseason? Are they going to play six games of postseason? I'm going to dial it back. I keep on, I keep on going up. I keep on going down. He's going to do it. He's not going to do it right now. I don't see the team playing four to six postseason games the way they're playing right now. Maybe they turn the corner and they do, but miles has to make up these two games that he's going to miss. And we don't know if he's going to miss more games beyond the Maryland game. So now you're going to ask him the what average 28 a game now. So it, it's, he, I think he's now trending to come up a little bit short again. Just goes to show you how impressive of a record it is for Terry. Terry started all four years. He basically never had a big injury scare. I believe he started every game. And it takes some luck and a whole lot of skill to get through these things. Look, let's also put it into more perspective. I mean, Terry had other guys on the team that could score. So someone might sit there and say, well, there was less attention on him, but Artie could put the ball in the basket. Jerry could put the ball in the basket. You know, you you had Ollie Taylor, you had Caver. He had other guys when you look back into seasonal history, you go, all right, he had some ball players on his team. You're looking at the team right now going, it is all power right now. And, and, and teams know that, and they're bringing it every night at him defensively. So I, I, I got to give him some credit, but you know what? We're, right. I, I'm we're not going to debate did. this because once the season is gone, we'll have the debate, and I'll bring up my points about then and now. Yes, it's going to be tough to keep moving with this, but once again, best of health to him. We hope he recovers as quickly as it can go. But don't come back too fast because this is a scary thing to mess with. No, you, you got you got to worry about your players' health above anything else. But uh, as we end every podcast, you know what? Go prove me wrong. Go Pirates. Big win against Maryland. Make it happen. Go Big Blue. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players Mark Bryant, Marcus Tony L, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Dizzyri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. We'll